0: It's not just France, but the fate of all Europe is at stake in the April 24th French election. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurses' station. Heart's still working, means the are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Our guest today writes that an ominous darkness hovers over France's capital, the city of light. The French runoff election of April 24th is expected to be one of the most consequential presidential elections the country has seen in decades, and the future of Europe, for that matter. In the first round, April 10th, the center-right, Macron, faced 12 challengers from political extremes, including Marine Le Pen, longtime standard bearer for the French far-right, far-right TV pundit and author Eric Zemmour, traditional leftist Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and some others. And aside from the usual economic issues affecting the people of France, which are big, the Russian war on Ukraine and the future of the European Union itself is in the mix. Observers say this French election may cause the biggest EU crisis since Brexit back in 2016. And the newly energized NATO may also take a hit if the right-wing friend of Putin, Marine Le Pen, actually pulls off her win or simply does well. Here to unravel what this means for Europe, the war in Ukraine, and the authoritarian anti-immigrant right around the world is our guest Arthur Goldhammer, whose article in The New Republic is titled, Yes, Be Worried, Marine Le Pen Could Finally Come to Power in France. All right, thanks so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Marine Le Pen is the daughter of the perennial candidate Jean-Marie Le Pen, the far-right xenophobic demagogue and outright anti-Semite who made it to the final round in 2002. Uh, His daughter has worked hard to soften her image, and today, as our guest notes, Emmanuel Macron leads the presidential race By about as much as Remain led in the UK, and Hillary Clinton led in the United States in 2016, and we know what happened in those cases. So yes, there could be a shocking swing to the right in France, where the left used to be, used to be a strong established force. For those who favor democracy and oppose white nationalism, though it's in France, this election matters greatly for us all. Art Gold, Goldhammer has taught at Brandeis and Boston Universities. He's translated more than 125 books from French, for which he won numerous awards. His most recent award was for Thomas Piketty's bestseller, Capital in the 21st Century. At the Center of European Studies at Harvard, Goldhammer is co-chair of the European Politics Seminar and chair of the Visiting Scholars New Research on Europe Seminar. A longtime observer of French politics, Goldhammer regularly contributes commentary on France and French politics in his blog site, French Politics. He writes regularly for the American Prospect, The Nation, Democracy Journal, Foreign Policy, and serves on the editorial boards of the Tocqueville Review and French Politics, Culture, and Society. Well, again, thanks for being with us. What happened in the first phase of voting on April 10th? Who were the losing candidates? And tell us about that, please.
1: Well, uh, the losing candidates are easy to to describe. Uh, Everyone lost except for the top three finishers. Uh, In particular, the standard bearers of the traditionally dominant parties in France, the Socialists and Les Républicains, who are the descendants of the Gaullists, uh, were more or less wiped out. The Socialist candidate finished with under 2% of the vote, uh, a truly humiliating performance wow. hmm. uh and the uh, gaullist candidate valerie pécresse who in many respects resembles macron her background and training are are quite similar uh finished with uh, under five percent uh which is the bar required to uh, obtain reimbursement from the french government for uh, uh one's campaign debts so both of those parties are going to be in financial difficulty uh, as a result of their uh, failing to make that bar. It, uh, that was a truly astonishing result. Uh, as for the top finishers, uh, both Macron and Le Pen improved their performances uh, compared with the first round in 2017. Macron gained the most, uh, adding about 4% uh, to finish with 28 and Le Pen added 2% uh, to finish uh, with 23 But they were followed uh, with uh, uh, surprising uh, strength by uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the candidate of the far left, uh-huh. who at, at one point in the evening uh, seemed as though he might overtake uh, Le Pen, uh, but that was not to be in the end.
0: Interesting. Yeah. They, maybe I'm wrong. I, I've thought that unlike the United States, France has traditionally had a solid socialist party. It was kind of establishment, a real working class solidarity, and there has long been a, a a robust left. What happened to that? I mean, interesting that Mélenchon did uh, uh, so well. Uh, there was some kind of a last-minute surge for him. T- tell us about the, the left. I mean, now he's described, I mean, given the... The media these days describing anything to the left of uh, the far right as far left. Uh, Mélenchon, was, was he a traditional you know, leftist, socialist, communist that there has been in the party? And why do you think there was this last minute surge for him?
1: Well, the last minute surge uh, was not so much for Mélenchon as it was for some kind of left alternative uh, to survive to the second round. Uh, Mélenchon's base of support amounts to uh, 8 or 9%. That's where he began in the polling. Uh, But French voters have become strategic voters. The uh, presidential election polling in France is generally pretty accurate. And the polls began to show that none of the uh, other left-wing candidates was going to break out of uh, uh, the basement in which they found themselves. There was some hope uh, for a while that the Green Party Uh, behind the candidacy of Yannick Jadot uh, might become the left standard bearer, but it didn't. So when it seemed that uh, there was no hope of having a a left-wing survivor other than Melenchon, many voters decided that they would cast uh, a useful vote uh, for uh, Melenchon, even though they disagree with his policies. Uh, When it comes to what he stands for, he's... uh, he started on the far left, uh, then he became a socialist and actually served uh, in the socialist government for a time. Uh, then he abandoned the socialist party and struck out on his own, at first without much success. Uh, but uh, this is now his third and probably last presidential race, and he's been improving his uh, performance each time. Uh, Not necessarily on his own steam, but uh, for the reason that I say, as the uh, Socialist Party has faded, there are many uh, on the left who who may have voted for Macron in 2017, but are disappointed with what he's done in office, and we're looking for some kind of left-wing alternative.
0: And as I I say, maybe I'm wrong, but I've always had the impression that the left in, in France has always been strong. What what what, is there? Are there economic situations that have uh, hurt the left? Why is the left uh, so down and out in France?
1: Well, uh, it's uh, a a long-term development. The decline of the left has been coming now for about ten years, Mm. uh, or maybe even uh, going back to two thousand two, when Jean-Marie Le Pen made it into the second round ahead of uh, Socialist Prime Minister Lionel Jospin. Uh, The the, the one mischaracterization, I think, in your description of the Socialist Party is uh, to describe it as a working class party. It's never really been that. It's yeah. uh, uh, represented the uh, the the uh, better educated, wow. uh, more afflu- affluent uh, part of the left It's nice. closer to a social democratic party. It has had some union support in the past, particularly from one of the unions, the CFDT, But the working class was represented during the heyday of the French left by the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. And many uh, who came from that quarter of the left, uh, unfortunately, now find themselves uh, uh, on the side of Marine Le Pen. Uh, Le Pen now heads the largest working class party in France. Uh, That's an unfortunate fact. Uh, And the Socialist Party lost much of its support among... uh, educated white-collar mm-hmm. employees, uh, to Macron in 2017. Uh, Macron presented himself as someone who would uh, be neither fish nor fowl, a bit of the left, a bit of the right, right. and uh, he persuaded a lot of people on the left that uh, he was uh, going to be sensitive to social issues. So uh, mm-hmm. he, he, um, that, that contributed to the decline of the Socialist Party. Uh, The Alain presidency, which ended uh, in 2017, uh, was a disaster for the socialists uh, for a variety of reasons. And the party has never uh, rebuilt itself since then. They chose a a weak leader, Olivier Faure, and a weak candidate, uh, Anne Hidalgo, uh, who was the mayor of Paris, and was actually a fairly popular mayor of Paris, but you wouldn't know that from... Uh, Sunday's election results, because even in Paris, the city she leads, she got uh, uh, just above 2% of the vote, only slightly better than her national performance. And I think that reflects more than anything else, the uh, strategic voting that I described a moment ago.
0: Strategic voting, yes, we often have that here, although oftentimes not. People just oftentimes vote with their guts, especially on the right. But I I did want to ask about the position that that puts Macron in, uh, it's reported that Macron's tack to the right did push some voters to the left. He's got, as we've seen in, here in the United States, quite a balancing act, try to trying to appeal to the center, the right, and the left. Going into the April 24th final election, does he still have to appear to be a centrist for that election, or is he... He must be looking at the numbers where they are, left and right. What, what, what talk about his balancing act, if you would, please, where he goes from here?
1: Yeah, well, he is uh, genuinely a centrist. Uh, he now occupies uh, as almost the sole occupant of the center of the French political spectrum. but what he has to do uh, to win election on uh, april twenty fourth is to appeal to the voters of Jean luc mélenchon. So that's more than a balancing act. It's uh, kind of a hat trick, if you like. Uh, He has to appeal people who voted for the farthest left of the candidates. He has to persuade people who voted for the farthest left of the candidates that he's going to take their interests to heart after he failed to do so, uh, having made the same promise in 2017. Uh, So he's already started to change his tune a little bit. One of the planks of his platform this year had been – Uh, pension reform in France. He proposed raising the retirement age, the legal age of retirement, uh, to 65 from uh, what it is now, 62. Uh, That's a a bit, uh, there's a bit of sleight of hand involved in that because because, uh, although the legal age of retirement is 62, you have to work 43 years uh, in order to claim full retirement benefits. So that means if you're, a, a college graduate who doesn't enter the workforce until age 22, then you would uh, have to work till 65 anyway. So the change in the law would be no change. But if you are a worker who enters the workforce at age 18 after graduating from high school, then raising the uh, uh, legal age of retirement to 65 would mean you'd now have to work 47 years instead of 43 so uh, his first move uh, to reposition himself after the uh, results of Sunday's election was to say, well, he's open to uh, uh, changing his plan on retirement reform. Uh, he's not wedded to the age of 65. He considers 64 or 63 or something else altogether. So that's his first attempt. But the question is whether O'Reilly's in voters' minds uh, minds the uh, question of uh, whether he's uh, reliable and honest about what he's truly going to do once he's elected.
0: I know that in the United States with 330 million people and various different, I think, sub-nations within the country, you got the Northeast and the Southeast and all these different, trying to appeal to all these constituencies is kind of an impossible task. But back to uh, Mélenchon and, and the left, uh, he came in, A fairly strong third is, you know, a way to be left of some sort. I read that many on the left say they'll abstain rather than vote with Macron. How important is Mélenchon's uh, support going forward?
1: Uh, Well, it's quite important. It's true that there was an instant poll on Sunday night uh, of Mélenchon voters to ask what they would do in the second round. 34% of them said they would vote for uh, Macron. 30% said they would vote for Le Pen, Mm -hmm. which is uh, really surprising and unfortunate. And the remainder say either that they haven't yet made up their mind or that they'll abstain. I think you'll see a fairly high abstention rate among Melenchon voters. Uh, Macron does need a better than even break among Melenchon supporters to win. He goes into the second round with a... Uh, about a four-point lead uh the problem is that uh for the first time le pen has a reserve of votes that she can call on she didn't have that reserve in 2017 but this year zemmour got seven percent of the vote Uh, much he did much less well than he had hoped but still uh his his seven percent will go almost entirely to le pen yeah Uh, The the same poll that I just quoted uh, suggests that 85% will go. So that that adds 6% to her total. And uh, she'll also get the votes of uh, another minor candidate, Dupont uh, Aignan, who uh, was on a ticket with her in 2017 to become his prime minister. So uh, she's going to have a base of support of around 32%, uh, and will then uh, pick up... um, uh, she, she has to pick up the remainder of votes. The other unknown is uh, how many people who abstained in the first round will vote in the second round and which way those people will vote. Uh, the abstention rate has been going up uh, steadily for the past uh, two election cycles, uh, and it uh, peaked uh, this year at uh, just over 25%. But some of those people might decide to vote in the second round, and uh, we really don't know at this point how they're going to vote. Uh, The other big unknown is uh, the debate. There's always a debate between the two Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, final candidates uh, in the period between the two rounds. There will be one this year on April 20th. In 2017, uh, in the debate between Macron and Le Pen, Macron demolished Le Pen. Uh, She got herself into a muddle over one of her own policies about uh, replacing the euro with a a new currency. Uh, It was a policy that she didn't understand herself. It had been uh, foisted on her by one of her advisors, uh, and she couldn't explain it at all clearly. And Macron, who is uh, a master of the issues and quite a clever debater, uh, an intelligent man, Uh, was able to exploit her weakness and make her look uh, thoroughly unprepared Uh, she's unlikely to repeat that mistake this year sure and the one thing that macron has to be on guard against is his tendency to look arrogant if you ask the average french voter what they think of macron arrogant is the adjective that occurs most frequently it looks to a lot of people like uh, the kid who thinks of himself as the smartest guy in the class <laughs> and he comes across that way on television oh, uh so he has to hold that tendency in check to uh humiliate people he considers to be his intellectual inferiors oh, uh, so uh, we'll see what happens but that uh, that debate could have a, a great influence on the outcome
0: well There is a lot at play here and a lot at stake. For those who may have just tuned in, Burt Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about keeping democracy alive in France, and for that matter, in the European Union. Our guest today is Arthur Goldhammer, who's written an article in The New Republic titled, Yes, Be Worried! Marine Le Pen Could Finally Come to Power in France. And I I do wonder about uh, uh, people who had voted left and feel, a lot of them feel left out. And uh, it certainly happened in this country in, in 2016. My particular take is, and there's all kinds of different takes, is that, uh, frankly, Hillary Clinton came off as arrogant, as looking down her nose at people and people in the parts of The United States that are uh, less densely populated didn't like that. They felt left out. Like, all right, there's these changes in government that are going on, but it's not helping them particularly. And the combination of arrogance and a sense of entitlement uh, led to, uh, I think people voted for Trump because they really did not like that arrogance and that elitism. I, I, I wonder... Is there? I mean, there's there's always sort of parallels, uh, but uh, I, I wonder if how much that that uh, sense of arrogance uh, is expected to play, and how it might actually fire up the people who used to be on the left who are now on the right. Uh,
1: well, yes, exactly. The description you gave of the uh, Trump Hillary contest be applied uh, almost without changes to macron Thanks. there are a number uh of instances where we all remember that hillary described uh, mm-hmm. some people on the right as a basket of deplorables indeed uh, macron made similar statements he was uh, uh in a confrontation with an unemployed person he said uh, you should have no trouble finding a a job i could cross the street today and find a job uh, in a shop on the other side uh he said uh, you should uh, you should dress better you should buy yourself a suit if you want to find a job uh so in in some of these uh, meetings with voters he's really seemed to be dripping with contempt which Mm. uh Uh, alienates people. He made another statement about uh, people who are reluctant to be vaccinated against COVID and said uh, they, they pissed him off and uh, he he doesn't always think uh, before he uh, gives a too quick reply to uh, questions and challengers. So uh, that can get him in trouble. Hmm. It has gotten him in trouble and uh, his inability to connect with the ordinary voter is uh, one of his great handicaps.
0: Yikes! Yes, now I am worried. <laughs> uh, bad magazine. Alfred e. Newman used to say, "What may worry?" Yeah, I am worried because this is Europe, and there's you know that war going on there. There's a lot at stake, uh, and a lot could change. And it's interesting to me how people on the on the traditional left who who uh, have felt left out are moving uh, very much to the right now. I, there's something like reassuring about it. I noticed, uh, actually, when I was in France a few years ago, and talked to some uh, German students, uh, high school students. They said that people in East Germany, in particular, former East Germany, were moving to the right more than in Western Germany. There's, there's something about, uh, I don't know, the draw of uh, authoritarianism. Does does she come... Who is, who is she now? Let's talk about who she is. She changed... I mean, her, her image. We want to talk about what's real about Marine Le Pen. She's quite intentionally toned down her anti-immigrant rhetoric. How much is mere window dressing for show and how far right and xenophobic is she really? She called favoring French people over foreigners, quote the only moral, legal, and admissible policy. Who is, who is she for real now?
1: Well, uh, she uh, is a woman who uh, grew up uh, in politics because uh, of her father's political activity. She inherited the party leadership from him in 2011. And since then, she's been increasing the party's su- uh, support quite steadily. Uh, she, uh, in a way, uh, she no longer has to emphasize her uh xenophobia racism and anti-immigrant uh uh, stance because that's the party brand it's like scotch tape doesn't have to advertise anymore that it's useful for sticking pieces of paper together because everybody knows that uh she uh, presents herself as someone who uh is not uh, she's very different from the american right in that she has no wish to roll back the welfare state or to uh Mm attack the New Deal, to attack uh, the ver- various kinds of uh, state benefits that are, are given to uh, the mm. less well-off in France. Uh, but she stands for kind of welfare chauvinism. Uh, she doesn't want those benefits to go to people who are recent immigrants. Uh, there's a particularly uh, irksome uh, uh, a policy that some French workers find particularly uh, irksome, which is called uh, Medical Assistance for Foreigners. Uh, it's, uh, in my opinion, a very wise policy because it uh, provides medical benefits even for illegal immigrants to ensure that uh, diseases that they may have brought with them are cared for and don't spread to the population at large. So it's a wise policy, but a lot of French native uh, born French, native-born French uh, workers resent it because they feel that it's coming out of their payroll taxes uh, to support uh, medical treatment for people who come uh to france specifically for that purpose so uh they're unhappy about that that's one issue that she has harped upon uh she has been uh, a harsh critic of globalization and of the european union hmm. uh, because she argues they undermine the position of the french worker and that's one of the things that has made her party the chief party of of the french working class because she uh, uh, presents herself very forcefully as someone who is for uh, defending French wages against the uh, lower-wage foreign competition. Um, she uh, is, uh, is and has been throughout her career hostile to the EU, which, uh, as you point out, is a very problematic position in this uh, very fraught moment when the EU is on the front lines in supporting Ukraine in its war with Russia. She has called for France to withdraw from NATO, uh, which, again, is problematic uh, at this uh, time of war. Uh, And uh, periodically she reminds voters, even though it's uh, uh, fairly unnecessary, that she is also uh, against immigrants. She hasn't given any of that up Nevertheless, uh, she was aided this time in softening her image by the fact that Eric Zemmour emerged and he was even farther to the right. He's uh-huh. uh, uh, truly um, uh, reprehensible, if I may say so, on these issues to the point where he's he's actually been convicted uh, three times in French courts of inciting racial hatred. Uh, that has never happened to Marine Le Pen. It did happen to her father, who was uh outspokenly anti-semitic but uh, marine le pen is not an anti-semite uh she also differs from some others on the french right in that, that she's not uh anti-gay or homophobic in fact uh, a number of her close advisors uh are uh, uh gays uh, uh openly so uh sebastian chenu who was uh, someone who used to be in the mainstream right who was actually uh An advisor to uh, Christine Lagarde when she was finance minister of France uh, has joined Le Pen uh, and uh, is uh, is gay. So in that respect, she is also different from the American right. She's much more socially open. She's also uh, different from her niece, uh, Marion Maréchal, who quit uh, the Rassemblement National, uh, the Le Penist party, uh, to support Eric Zemmour because uh, Marianne Maréchal is uh, a practicing Catholic, uh, rather devout, uh, which Marine Le Pen is not. Religion is not part of her uh, program. And uh, Marianne Maréchal, who used to be uh, a strong supporter of Marine Le Pen, abandoned her this year in favor of Zemmour, who, uh, despite being Jewish, says that uh, he... uh, uh, opposes Le Pen because she doesn't defend strongly enough the Catholic basis of French civilization.
0: Mm. Yeah, that uh, struggle between uh, the Catholic Church and the Republic, that's gone on a long time from my limited understanding of France. And, you know, here in the United States, the religious religiosity is a big, big part of the right. Uh, there's a lot written about... Uh, the the far right, the now Republican Party, wants to uh, move away from a Republican form of government to an authoritarian religious nationalism. And that's not so much the Catholic Church here, but I, I wonder about, uh, is the Catholic Church there? Uh, my guess is politically it's not as strong as it once was, but are they— pushing for a similar kind of uh, religious nationalism over a French republic. And a republic is a big deal in France.
1: Yeah. Uh, No, the situation uh, with respect to religion is quite different in France. Uh, Most French people are not uh, uh, active participants in religion. Uh, They will, uh, the majority uh, nominally, call themselves Catholic but they don't attend mass they may have their children baptized uh and uh when the uh, elderly people die they may be buried in the church uh, marriages will take place in the church but in between people don't attend attend church by and large and religion is not a big part of their lives uh that's true of most of the french including uh muslim uh immigrants Uh, But there is a minority of Muslims who are uh, militantly uh, Muslim. They practice a political Islam. And uh, some of uh, Macron's efforts have been uh, directed against that political Islam uh, because of French anxieties about terrorism and the notion that uh, some uh, Muslim organizations may be uh, uh, radicalizing uh, Muslim youth. Uh, so that's uh, there there's a fear that uh, uh, Muslim involvement in religion is uh, more uh, intimate and passionate than uh, uh, Christian involvement, which uh, has waned uh, and has been uh, uh, very low for a very long period of time.
0: Yeah, interesting. I, I can see that. in the uh, We have examples of, of Muslim uh, activism and radicalism. Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. For those who just tuned in, our guest today is Arthur Goldhammer, who's uh, got an article in The New Republic titled, Yes, Be Worried, Marine Le Pen Could Finally Come to Power in France. Uh, Goldhammer has taught at Boston University and uh, BU and uh, is uh, quite familiar with uh, what's going on in France. He's written 125 books. Uh, translated 125 books from French Uh, he knows his stuff Um,
1: Uh, Bert if if I can add uh, I had a second article in uh, the New Republic that appeared on Monday uh, uh, summarizing the results of the uh, first round so your listeners might be uh, interested in reading that one as well
0: ah I hope so. I wish I had read it, quite frankly. And, and I'll have a, c- a couple of
1: forthcoming articles uh, just before the uh, second round and then after a uh, uh, summing up.
0: You know, talk about the, the Muslim thing. I wonder we had, you know, Donald Trump here who, who ginned up racism against uh, the others who had darker skin coming across the border and had that that whole thing make america great again and it worked pretty well it connected with people people who feel like you know they don't get a, a fair shot they've played by the rules and haven't gotten ahead uh, it's it's easy to be jealous of the other and in terms of, of muslim uh, fear fear of muslims you know i mean knowing a little bit of history i know france was an imperial power for a long time and as always happens, when an empire falls, the imperial subjects often seek better lives going back to the mother country. And, you know, the French had Vietnam, Algeria, West Africa, Syria, Lebanon. Um, I wonder if there's this nostalgia for that kind of uh, superiority, control over the, the Muslim other uh, what about the strength of the anti-immigrant sentiment in France? I mean, the the, the people who used to be part of the French Empire are all, all around. They're ever-present. Uh, yes,
1: there are. There's a, a substantial uh, immigrant population in France, although not as substantial as uh, most uh, French believe. It uh, amounts to about uh, both uh, immigrants and people uh, uh who are descendants of immigrants uh, uh, of immigrants from North Africa account for eight oh, to ten percent of the population. Uh, but the irony is that uh, under Macron, uh, immigration has been uh, somewhat curtailed, both oh. legal and illegal immigration, uh, mostly because of COVID. Uh, immigrants have stopped coming for that reason, uh, and not uh, because Macron has tightened uh, borders or, or rules around immigration. Mm-hmm. Although To some limited extent, he has. Uh, But I would uh, cite, in addition to the uh, uh, the imperial past of France, which is the point you made quite rightly, uh, there's also a more recent uh, fear of uh, of immigrants. uh owing to a number of terrorist incidents that have occurred in france more recently Uh, the fear of of terrorism has subsided somewhat in the united states because it's been a long time since uh, 2001 and the attacks that have occurred since then uh, have been uh, more uh, lone wolf uh, kinds of attacks Uh, but in france uh in 2015 there were hundreds of people killed at a nightclub and several other locations uh, in right. paris uh there's been a recent trial of one of the surviving terrorists uh, from uh, that uh, attacking group which has reminded people of the event in 2020 there was a truly shocking uh, beheading on a public street of a school teacher oh, right. who had whose only offense was to have uh, Discussed uh, the issue of free speech around the cartoons uh, published in the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo, yeah. uh, which resulted in the massacre of uh, the staff of that magazine. Yeah. Uh, some 20 people were killed by uh, by two brothers, who were radicalized Muslims and had been radicalized in prison, uh, and the the shocking nature of that event the fact that it occurred in broad daylight on a public street mm-hmm. by uh, the victim was a, a really inoffensive and actually uh, quite sympathetic a teacher who was quite sympathetic to muslims mm-hmm. in his uh, uh, basic attitude i think that really uh, has lingered in the french mind uh so uh some in france accuse macron of being anti-democratic and authoritarian because he's taken moves that uh, you might uh, uh, say were analogous to things that uh, Trump did in the United States, like trying to build a wall. Uh, In France, uh, Macron has uh, promoted a a law on uh, separatism, as it's called, which uh, tries to restrict uh, Muslim religious teachings and homeschooling, wants to require teachers who participate in these religious schools to be trained in France, Uh, rather than in places like Saudi Arabia or Algeria. Uh, It uh, reduced the uh, restrictions on police when searching homes of prospective terrorists uh, and so on. So uh, you might consider those to be authoritarian moves, and uh, many on the left have criticized uh, Macron for making those moves. But French polls show that, particularly since the murder of Samuel Paty, um many in france think that macron has not gone far enough in cracking down uh so uh you can't say at the same time that he's authoritarian and anti-democratic in a way he's responding to a democratic demand for uh tighter regulation of uh the practice of uh, islam in france you may deplore that but it's uh also true that uh, this has a a strong base of democratic support in
0: France. And I wonder how many Muslim uh, people living in France are A, registered to vote and B, if they're going to vote, and I wonder how is this a significant demographic which plays into the uh, elections in specific and French identity in general?
1: Yes, uh, Muslims uh, do vote in large numbers. Uh, Many working class Muslims voted for Mélenchon on Sunday. Uh, You can see that if you look at the precinct-by-precinct results in the city of Paris uh, and its suburbs, precincts uh, in which uh, Muslims are heavily represented, voted heavily for Mélenchon. Uh, More surprisingly, perhaps, some Muslims voted for uh, Marine Le Pen Uh, because they like her authoritarian stance uh, and they find her uh, more open and honest than Macron. Mm. Some vote for Macron. Many Muslims are fully assimilated into French society. Uh, Some uh, hold uh, white collar jobs and uh, have had good educations. Uh, And like most of Macron's voters uh, who share those characteristics, uh, you find some Muslims in, in his base so you find muslims uh, across the uh, political spectrum in france
0: interesting that that's uh, worthy of knowing and the gorilla in the room that we haven't mentioned putin putin his criminal war against ukraine has united a divided america and i think nato is much more fired up than before what about in france how close has Le Pen been with uh, Vladimir Putin? And is, is there great support or concern about a re- reinvigorated muscular NATO in France? Talk about her alliance with, with Putin in, in uh, the elections that are coming up and how people feel.
1: Uh, well, uh, Le Pen has been associated with Putin in the past. Uh, she has praised his leadership. She went to Moscow To meet with him uh, several years ago uh, uh, and one of her campaign leaflets featured a picture of her uh, shaking hands with putin Uh, she uh, downplayed that leaflet naturally enough after the war occurred Uh, to her credit however she was quick to uh, denounce the invasion uh, and despite her usual opposition to refugees from other countries Uh, In the case of Ukraine, she made an exception and said that she would have France uh, uh, welcome Ukrainian refugees with open arms. In fact, Putin did her a great service uh, by invading because uh, (laughs) her opponent on the far right, Eric Zemmour, is an even more outspoken uh, uh, proponent of Putin than Le Pen was. Uh, And he refused to take back any of the nice things that he uh, said about Putin Once the invasion occurred, uh, his poll numbers started to go down rapidly. For a while, for a short while, he was even ahead of Le Pen uh, in garnering far-right votes. But uh, because of his continued support for Putin, despite the Russian atrocities, uh, his poll numbers uh, began to sink quickly uh, and dropped from uh, 18 at a high point to seven, uh, which was where he finished. So uh, in that sense, uh, the Russian invasion has uh, served uh, Le Le Pen. It allowed her to moderate her image as a pro-Putin candidate uh, while discrediting her major opponent. Uh, On the other hand, she still calls for withdrawal from NATO, as I said earlier, uh, and is still hostile to the European Union. So uh, what she would actually do if she were to take power uh, in uh, assisting uh, the NATO and the EU in uh, uh, aiding the Ukrainians uh, would remain to be seen.
0: Wow, that that's big. What happens to the European Union and uh, and, and to NATO? Uh, you you say uh, that a Le Pen victory would be devastating for both France and Europe. Uh, that relative to Putin, if there were a Le Pen victory or a close race on April 24th, Europe seems to have a pretty united front now, backing NATO. How is this, if she won, or even if she does very well, is, does that uh, mark danger ahead for, for the NATO alliance? And uh, I wonder how that might affect the war.
1: Well, I, I think it does mark danger ahead, but uh, I think there would also be opposition to her uh, Uh, taking an outright uh, pro-Russian policy. Uh, It's fair to say that uh, the French people were deeply shocked uh, as people all across Europe were shocked, as I was shocked by the fact that uh, uh, Putin made good on his threat. Uh, And that shock is still reverberating throughout Europe. So I think there would be strong opposition in France uh, across the political spectrum. Uh, uh, against any move to uh, take a pro-Russian uh, position if she were to come to power. Uh, Germany, which had uh, been pursuing close commercial ties with Russia for a very long time, as mm. France had under Macron, uh, and I think quite reasonably, uh, it, there was no reason uh, not to pursue those commercial ties uh, before putin became more aggressive or perhaps uh, in retrospect there should have been reason but uh, many of us including myself uh discounted that and thought that uh, developing uh, closer economic relations with russia would actually moderate russian foreign policy uh we were wrong i was wrong uh, french leaders were wrong german leaders were wrong uh and positions have rapidly changed across europe the the germans uh Uh, have pulled back on Nord Stream 2, the pipeline Mm -hmm. that was going to bring Russian gas uh, into Germany. Uh, France is somewhat uh, in in a somewhat more fortunate position uh, compared with Germany in that it doesn't depend nearly as heavily uh, as Germany does on uh, imported Russian gas. Uh, France generates most of its electricity from nuclear power, uh, which the Germans abandoned uh, some years ago under uh, Angela Merkel. Uh, So it can get by more easily without Russian gas than the Germans can. The Germans are going to have to adjust very rapidly and probably won't be able to adjust rapidly enough to Mm. prevent a major hit to their uh, economy. If a full gas boycott goes into effect. Uh, So uh, the, the uh, shock and the need for adjustment will be felt uh, all across Europe. Uh, And uh, uh, what, any French leader can do, whether it's Le Pen or Macron. I think will be affected by uh, uh, the mm. uh, consequences of Russian actions uh, on the European economy at large.
0: Mm. Boy, it is complicated for sure. It's one heck of a of a union. Huh. I'm reminded when uh, the union, as it was, sort of broke up in uh, 1860 here in the United States, and uh, did it get back together? Yeah sort of but nato you think given the the incredible atrocities that are going on in ukraine the support for nato uh even if she does really well i mean if she won i don't know but but what do you think about the the future of nato it didn't used to be so strong strongly supported but now it, it seems to be
1: um Yes, of course, the French attitude toward NATO has long been ambivalent. Yeah. And France was not part of NATO for a long time. and uh, uh, Le Pen, who describes her uh, position in foreign policy as one equidistant between Russia and the United States, mm. uh, tries to cast herself as being in the mold of De Gaulle, who also tried to maintain independence during the Cold War uh, from both the United States and Russia. So uh, there's a long tradition in France of uh, trying to uh, stake out an independent policy and to go uh, uh, their own way. And uh, uh, Le Pen Mm -hmm. uh, may uh, continue along that line, but uh, her anti-Americanism is real. Although uh, she has close ties to the far right in the United States, she was visited in 2017 by Steve Bannon, Trump's (laughs) advisor, who was trying to forge an international alliance of right-wing authoritarians. And uh, Le Pen was a a natural piece to fit into that Mm. puzzle. Uh, So if uh, Le Pen uh, comes to power in France and the Republicans uh, win the midterm election in the United States, as seems likely, Mm. and take take control of the Congress, uh, and uh, heaven forbid, Trump should be re-elected, Uh, You can see uh, uh, closer ties uh, being uh, renewed between the far right in the United States and the far right in France.
0: Yeah, it's been an interesting time for the far right, for religious nationalism in general and uh, authoritarians. All over the place. Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is uh, Art Goldhammer, who is uh, at the Center for European Studies at Harvard, co chair of the European Politics Seminar. And he's written an article, well, a few articles now for the uh, uh, New Republic uh, about what's going on in France. And we talked about Putin. What about Viktor Orban? He is the far right authoritarian leader of Hungary, just recently re-elected, much to my displeasure. What is Le Pen's relationship with him? And what about uh, the growth of uh, the authoritarian right in Europe and in France? What What is her friendship with uh, Orban all about? And I wonder how that affects voters.
1: Uh, well, she's very close to Orban, uh, has long been close to him. Uh, they're part of the same uh, uh, party in uh, European Parliament. Uh, orban has endorsed her uh she has endorsed orban mm. orban as you know was just re-elected in hungary yeah. uh and uh he's uh, openly calling for uh, marine le pen's victory in france uh and if she is elected she will join the uh, uh, alliance of uh, eu authoritarian member states uh, poland hungary and uh, uh and then uh, france uh, in uh, declaring the supremacy of uh, national law over European law. This was uh, a position uh, staked out first in Poland. Uh, as you know, when the European Court of Justice uh, tried to interfere in Polish internal affairs, uh, the Polish Court uh, Supreme Court issued a, a judgment saying that uh, Polish law took supremacy over EU law, which is... Contrary to the language of the EU treaties, the founding treaties of the EU. Uh, And surprisingly, uh, Poland got support from quite a number of right wing politicians in France, not just Marine Le Pen, but also all of the candidates in the primary uh, for the center right party's uh, candidacy, including Michel Barnier, who was the EU negotiator on Brexit. So it was quite surprising to me that someone who was representing the EU's interests in, uh, in the Brexit uh, discussions uh, would take the position that EU law was subordinate to national law. But uh, there you have it. Uh, and this position is quite popular in France. Uh, the French don't like to think of themselves as uh, having made concessions when they signed the EU treaties. Uh, and that's an important issue for Marine Le Pen because she purports to be defending Uh, French workers and French national interests against interference from the EU.
0: And certainly in the uh, Brexit vote, a lot of people felt the same way, that they didn't want uh, European Union laws to be uh, uh, over their own laws. And that that can appeal to uh, the uh, people on the right and uh, the populist uh, vote as well. And... uh, what about what was the Yellow Vest Movement? Is, is that gone now? Will that dynamic be a factor in the upcoming election?
1: Well, the, the Yellow Vest Movement was a movement of generalized protest, which yeah. eventually came to focus on Macron. Uh, but it had many grievances, uh, beginning with uh, a small hike in the gasoline tax, oh, right. uh, which uh, many people uh, with lower incomes... Uh, and long commutes to their jobs uh, found uh, made it difficult for them to make ends meet right Uh, and uh, uh, having started from that small beginning it burgeoned into a more generalized protest against the way france was run particularly under macron you you have to understand that uh, the influence of the uh, administrative elite what we, we would call here the government bureaucracy is stronger in France than it is in the United States because uh, the presidential system is so much stronger and consequently the parliament legislative branch is so much weaker uh, than Mm. in the US. So most laws originate in the bureaucracy and uh, uh, the bureaucracy at its top levels is staffed by people who are quite similar to Macron. They attend uh, elite schools They're extremely well-educated and uh, trained well in the mechanics of government, uh, but they uh, are out of touch with Mm -hmm. ordinary people in many respects. So although uh, they're often very uh, uh, competent managers and try to take the interests of different groups into account, in almost any government policy, there's going to be some group that is injured and the fact that the bureaucracy is the uh, place of origin of many of these policies that injure people uh, means that uh, uh, the the bureaucracy can be uh, characterized as an enemy of uh, democracy.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. Uh, Macron comes right out of this milieu. He uh, went to the the top schools in France, Sciences Po, and the National School of Administration. Uh, he shares the uh, manners and characteristics of. Uh, uh, a group that the French call Enoch, that is graduates of this National School of Administration, which is highly selective and whose members tend to form a closed circle among themselves. And they occupy not only top government positions, but also top positions in private industry because of the way uh, people are recruited for those top jobs. Wow. So uh, this group is uh, a group that has generated a lot of hostility in France, and uh, Le Pen. Uh, has tried to capitalize on that hostility by characterizing uh, Macron as uh, uh, a quintessential representative of that group, which indeed he is.
0: Mm. Well, and of course, it reminds me of the thing that uh, Trump tried and was fairly effective with this so called deep state, but it sounds like it's even more real there. I don't think it's particularly real here, but uh, more real in, in France.
1: What about. Pa- uh, yeah, it, it is quite real in France.
0: What about passion? You know, Hillary Clinton was widely favored to win in 2016, but there was not a lot of passion for her. It was just that, I mean, I voted for her. She wasn't Trump. The other side, the Trump side, was very fired up and has tremendous passion. What about passion in the French elections? I'm getting the sense that support for Macron is not particularly passionate. How important a factor is passion?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very important factor. And uh, uh, in 2017... Passion was on Macron's side. Uh, despite his elitist credentials, he came across as something new in French politics. Mm-hmm. He brought a kind of uh, JFK youthful vigor. Uh, if uh, if you're old enough to remember the uh, JFK years yes. in the United States, yes. uh, he was uh, by far the youngest uh, person ever to run for the French presidency. Uh, he was elected at 39, which I think was the same age as JFK when he was elected. Wow. Uh, and uh, he uh, uh, really campaigned with a lot of enthusiasm. This year, he's been uh, distracted by the war in Ukraine, uh, to his credit. I yeah. think he tried to head off the war. Yeah. He spent a lot of time uh, either in Moscow or on the phone with Putin, trying to persuade him that this war was a mistake. Uh, he failed, but it was an honorable uh, failure. Uh, and there he finds himself, the candidate who is now seen as the old uh, familiar shoe. Yeah. And the French like to kick old shoes around. They they always uh, hate their leaders more than is warranted. They've hated the past uh, uh, four presidents uh, with more passion than uh, I think any of them really deserved. On the other hand, Le Pen, uh, simply because she's been improving her uh, her mm-hmm. stature with each new election. Uh, and because she seems like the uh, the coming thing uh, has aroused uh, more passion, although she, too, is an old shoe in some mm. respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she's aroused more passion this year. She also renewed the ranks of her own party by bringing in a very young uh, 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 party president, a guy who replaced her as a party president named uh, Jordan Barthelot, who's still in his 20s, oh and
0: uh,
1: who has proved to have a fairly... Uh, uh, a good uh, ability to appeal to younger voters. So she's increased the, her share of the youthful vote in France compared to previous
0: elections. And that does count. That does count in every uh, every country. Well, you write that even if she loses, the fact that she has come so close shows that the dike has been breached. W- what do you mean by
1: that? Uh, well, uh, until uh, this year, it was always thought that uh, there was a, a Republican front that would unite against the Front National, the the party of Mm -hmm. Le Pen, uh, to keep it out of power because it was seen as an anti-Republican party, Uh a party that did not share the founding values of the French Republic, which as you uh, noted in your introductory remarks, is a very big deal in France. People like to think of themselves as the children of the Republic. Uh, And in in past elections, this uh, Republican front always did materialize so that even though there was a strong opposition between the left and the right in France, uh, whichever candidate was best placed in a confrontation with the uh, the far right party would get the support of the other. So if the socialist candidate was leading, the uh, candidates, the Gaullist, uh, uh, members of the Gaullist party would vote for the socialist and vice versa, if a Gaullist candidate was leading, then the socialist would vote mm. for the Gaullist in order to bar the way uh, for the Front National. That seems to have broken down in part because the opposition between the left and the right or the center left and the center right itself has broken down. So there's no longer this sense that uh, uh, you really have to vote for uh, a Republican uh, in order to keep the bad guys out. Mm. Uh, And in part because Le Pen has made herself seem less anti-Republican. In fact, she describes herself as the most Republican uh, of all the candidates. Not everyone uh, uh, believes that line. Well, uh, because uh, she is so uh, staunchly uh, anti-Muslim, she presents her anti, because as I pointed out earlier, the Muslims are the religious group that uh, has the highest level of uh, active religious practice in France. Uh, And because Muslims want to wear their, uh, Uh some Muslims want to wear their religious garb in public, uh, she claims that she's defending the Republican concept of laicite, which uh, holds that there should be no displays of religious affiliation in public, that the public square should be religiously neutral and religion should be relegated strictly to the private sphere. So the fact that some Muslims want to wear uh, hijabs, for example, sure. uh, Muslim headscarves in public, she opposes that. And uh, she argues that that makes her the most Republican of all the candidates. Oh my so go go figure.
0: Go figure. Wow. It sure is interesting. We thought the American elections were uh, complicated and interesting. Art Goldhammer, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Very
1: informative. It was my, my pleasure, and thanks for the conversation. Sous-titrage